0: You're listening to Circle of Hope's Sunday Meeting Podcast. This talk was given at 2212 South Broad Street. For more information, check out circleofhope.net or join us in person on Sunday evenings at 5 and 7 p.m. John the Baptist was the forerunner to Jesus, as Corey and Amara were getting to. And as you probably know, he was Jesus' predecessor. Um, very important person in the Bible, probably more important than I realized before. He came first, and he cleared the path for Jesus and his message. I'm certainly not Jesus, but growing up, I I always wanted a forerunner. How many, how many of you are the oldest kids in your family? I am too, and it had some perks, but it also felt like I was sort of Bush bu- bushwhacking my way through the, the jungle of my parents expectations um, all the time. And here's a picture of me and my siblings all decked out for Christmas. Uh, but I felt and I think this picture is so you know all the family system is all here because Nadine is just is worried about the mischievous things she just did. And my brother's just looking for his next meal. (laughs) But I felt like I had to fight for everything. That was just my perception. Um, From getting my ears pierced to getting my driver's license, I felt like everything was a battle. And my siblings had no fights about these privileges. They they got all these privileges and more. They might not see it that way. (laughs) But I'm saying it while my sister is taking her... Babies upstairs, but it felt to me like I cleared the path, and they just walked right on through. And so I longed for. Sometimes I longed for a forerunner who would kind of clear, make make the way clear for me. And as adult, as an adult, I've been very happy, very grateful to have that um, in my vocation coming after our pastor Rod. And in many ways, many other ways, I have felt that in faith, learning from all of you. So it has changed, and I'm glad for that, even though it's good to be a forerunner. And, and I hope that's one of the things that you hear from, from me tonight, is that you can, you can and probably should be a forerunner for somebody else. And no matter how windy your path has been or how many times you've fallen off the path, or gotten pushed off the path, Jesus is your forerunner, and he can make a way for you. I love this story of Jesus and John the Baptist, um, because if Jesus, who is God, needed somebody to clear the path for him, we needn't feel bad about wanting that. The story is so profound to me because I think it shows that we don't come into our fullness on our own. If even Jesus needed somebody to lift him up, then we must be pretty important to each other. He, God links his story intrinsically with humanity, and I think one of, for one of the reasons, um, one of the things it demonstrates is that our stories are linked to God's and to each other. We are shaped into wholeness and we fulfill our purpose in relationship to others. We, can't, we just can't do it in isolation. This is very countercultural, but I think very central to the gospel. We don't get whole on our own. We don't come into maturity on our, on our own. We're shaped and healed through our relationships with others, even through the hardships I would never be who I am today without the school of relationships I've committed to. Um, not just mothering and marriage, but my covenant with many of you. But as much, um, as, much as John and Jesus were partners in mission, they were, they were partners in the deepest sense of the word, um, since their miraculous conceptions, they were very solitary in action. And I want to make this point because fulfilling your purpose can probably feel really lonely at times. That's real, even though your story is linked to partners like Jesus and John. Because John's calling was like nobody else's either. He, he ended this 400-year period of silence and prophecy, um, and he became the last Hebrew prophet. He literally marks the distinction between the Old Testament and the New. And he kind of stands on that cusp alone, marking this transition. All by himself, he stands for something new, and he calls for something new. It was so cutting edge, wh- what he was doing, was so cutting edge that when he was in prison, he was asking himself, did I, did I get this all wrong? It is... is uh, Am I am I doing the right thing? Is, is Jesus really the Messiah? Am I sticking up for the right guy? But he hadn't. Doubt is just part of faith. And sometimes you really are the only one who's called to do what you are called to do. John did a lot of uniquely weird things. And you've probably, if you've heard about him, that's probably like what you have heard, that he was this, fierce and gnarly dude who lived in the desert um and ate locusts and honey and it's i mean it's pretty hard to live in the desert so he was probably a pretty fierce guy he was never supposed to cut his hair or have a drop of alcohol nothing that would quench his vigor and so he was a pretty compelling dude when we know this because people came to hear him speak, and they didn't even do that for Jesus. Jesus did more going to people, but people came out of their houses and went out to the desert to hear John. Um, that's how compelling he was in his message of repentance. People came um, because there was something hopeful, even in this call, um, even in this message that had teeth to it and was not gentle, the hope was that God was coming and there was a way to get ready. There was a way to clear out your life and make room for God. Um, and, and when they listened to John, they could see their, their greed and their laziness and they wanted to be cleansed. They were longing for this Messiah, this Savior, and this new way of life that would bring peace to the whole world. And so they were baptized by John. John was like a mirror, I think. he He reflected the light, and people could could see themselves in that light. They were drawn to the light through him. And in this way, he started to fulfill the prophecy that his dad burst out. his dad burst into this song when he was born um, when when his dad could finally speak again, he said, By the tender mercy of our God, the dawn from on high will break upon us to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the way of peace. I think that that is worth meditating on probably for the rest of our lives. This hope and this promise. I think I could stand to hear that a couple of more times. Why don't one or two people read, read it to us again so we can take it in. We need to find that way of peace, don't we? I think we're called to be a witness to the light too. And it happens every time we get together, I think, that, that we reflect the light. And I could really see it in us, um, in our late night Sunday meeting last week, Down at 1125 South Broad, Victoria preached, and Lila and Rachel directed us to participate and meditate, and they shone with this wisdom and love. Rand set up this labyrinth of light that encouraged us to take this active journey with God through Advent guided by the light of our community because each one of those little bags had like notes of of welcome and acceptance and hospitality. And um, the team is thinking of meeting there every Sunday evening at 7.30 in the new year if we can keep gathering a movement of includers and lovers. We want to be a witness to the light in as many places as we can. But being a witness to the light has an edge to it, like John did. And I want to talk about that for a couple minutes, because um, without this edge, I think the stranger who was Jesus would have never been welcomed into the world. John, John's, uh, John was kind of sharp like a mirror, and this, al- this allowed him to fulfill his purpose um, and make a way for Jesus in the world. This edge is totally counterintuitive and countercultural, and so um, that's why um, it often remains a secret. It takes a lot of intention to get to it. But Advent is a season of intention, so we might as well go there. I think one way to describe this, this edge, this edginess to John, is negative capability holding back on exercising your power or authority or giftedness because you're trying to let somebody else exercise theirs. It's, it's holding back on your impulses and instincts, maybe even your good ones sometimes for a higher purpose. And I think this is what John said when he meant when he said, when he met Jesus as an adult and he said, he must increase and I must decrease. When he, when he saw Jesus again as the Messiah, he knew that the game had changed and he'd have to learn some new instincts now. His purpose was to prepare the way for Jesus and the Lord was here now and so he had to fall back. And I think that that's part of the whole secret to the gospel um, and to welcoming the stranger. It's lifting others up. In the midst of of all the action that we're called to take, I think there's this core posture of willingness to listen to God and fall back when we need to, to be emptied of our ego and receive from the Lord, to let Jesus go, go before us, be our forerunner. Jesus even did this for John, and look at how he did it. He made... He emptied himself as God, made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. Sometimes theologians call this kenosis, this um, process of emptying, holding back. Um, it's, It's about the trust in God, and it can be used to clear the path for somebody else. Of course, That's uh, easier said than done. I mean, sometimes it's nice when like your kids learn to tie their own shoes and you don't have to tie them anymore. Um, But it's harder when your coworker gets that promotion instead of you because you've been taking the time to like mentor them and help them along. I think Advent calls us to a deeper kenosis so there can be a wider path clearing for others. And there's lots of ways that we can do it together as the church. Um, We practice having a common fund, sharing our money. We um, have apprentice leaders of of each of our cell groups so that the next person can be taught um, to lead. But it, it, uh, it starts in a deeper place, doesn't it? I think the more that we can be aware of our compulsions to lift ourselves up, um, you know, that our desires to be important and recognized and needed, and those are real, but the more that we can trust those desires to God, I think the more we are free to clear the path of faith for others. I'll give you a really vulnerable example as the kids, (laughs) like, break through the ceiling. I love being a mom. I'm not always great at it, but I do love it, and as my kids have become teenagers, they don't need me in the same way that they used to. And mainly, I'm really happy about this because I've raised them to have a sense of their agency and and capability and their responsibility. And I have a lot of other things to do that I love doing, but still. Sometimes I miss the kind of primal way that we were attached at the hip, like literally. And, the, and, and when I feel the emptiness there, it kind of takes me by surprise. But I need to keep helping them grow and develop into who they're becoming. Because God's going to take care of me and transform that space in me into something new kind of like the metaphor of the bucket if we're all filled up with self you know even if it's gold we're kind of useless for the next project the bucket needs to be empty in order to be useful and we might not we might not get into be able to get into that new thing with god if we're filled up with sadness or regret or despair about the world. And this isn't I hope this doesn't sound like a moralistic lesson because that's not my point. I think this is just kind of a spiritual reality. We might not be able to hold the peace and the joy that is coming to us if our bucket is is full of substitutes. We've got to dump it out. Clear the way for the Lord in our own hearts. Jesus even gave gave this warning, um, and and warning is another kind of forerunner, Um, but he said, don't let your hearts be weighed down by the anxieties of daily life, or the day of my coming will catch you by surprise. So I think any way that we can look to God to fill us up more than anything or anyone else prepares us to be good forerunners for others in faith. Sometimes I think we feel That feels really daunting, though. And and we feel up against a wall in our own hearts. Um, We don't know how to get through all the junk, and it sounds like the pastor's saying, well, just care about other people more and uh, just do more for other people. And so I have one last story, hopefully, to give you some hope that God can make a way through you and in you, no matter how far out there you are, that Jesus is your forerunner And no matter how many times you've gotten off the path, he can make a way for you. In high school, um, my friends and I would hike or mountain bike out to Devil's Point, this point um, right above the Lehigh Gorge where I lived. And um, this is actually a point on the Appalachian Trail, but we didn't know that. We thought it was like our secret spot that we had discovered. And um, one day I biked out there with a friend, and we had to get back sooner than we wanted to, probably because of my strict early curfew. And we had this bright idea that we we knew that we knew geographically that it was shorter to get back into town if we went straight down the mountain and over the river than if we took the highway and biked like the ten miles. So that was our bright idea. We're gonna forge our own path down the mountain and try to carry our mountain bikes across the Lehigh River. But it was really hard. There were, we got so scratched up from head to toe, and there were points that were nearly impassable. And um, the the Lehigh River is not that puny in the spring. And so Mm -hmm. we started in one spot. You know, we could not swim against the current. We started in one spot, and we ended up, like, way downstream, um, just clinging to our bikes. We made it home, but not any sooner than we would have if we would have surrendered to the path. Um, and we were in way worse shape. I tell you this story, though, in case, just in case none of the options in your life look good to you right now. Like maybe it doesn't look good to stick to the path and it doesn't look good to forge a new one. I think the word of God comes precisely to us at that dead end point. That's exactly what happened at Christmas. Um, The world was and is in a pretty dead end point, not knowing what to do. And God intervened. And I think That um, even when we feel like we've made some bad decisions and we don't know how to get back to the beginning, before the damage was done, God can work with all that damage to make a new path. The purpose of the word of God is to make a way through impossible places and people and situations. You know, that was John the Baptist's whole point about the the mountains being leveled and uh, the wilderness becoming passable. God was about to do that and still is. God will make a way for you. Jesus is your forerunner, no matter how many times you've gotten off the path or others have pushed you off. He will make a way for you. Let's pray, and then we have a couple minutes to talk back. Lord, I think that sometimes we feel um, stuck in suffering that is uniquely ours, Um, and maybe even especially in this season where um, everything's supposed to make us feel joyful, but um, somehow the suffering is is magnified. So I, I pray that you would come to us and meet us. Show us how important we are to lifting each other up, to welcoming someone new, and how we can even make that path clear by letting you make a new path for us. So I thank you for coming, for, for being a stranger and for welcoming us. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to Circle of Hope's Sunday Meeting Podcast. If you want to talk about it or get connected to a cell, you can find one under our Connect drop-down at circleofhope.net.